Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. It feels really good to be on the microphone. Wow, it has been a minute since this voice has graced your podcast feeds. I hope you've all been well. Um, I certainly have, you know, I've been living my best vaccinated life. I've been putting a lot of effort into, oh, how do I say this? So if the podcast is a side hustle from my full-time job, then a side hustle on the podcast is what? What is the term for a side hustle of a side hustle? I don't know. Figure it out. DM me, email me. Let me know what that term is because that is what I have been doing. Anyways, it feels really good to be here on the Perceived Value feed. Today's episode is brought to you by Halstead. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you have certainly heard me talk about this small family business. They put supporting small jewelry businesses at the heart of their company's mission They show this support through things such as their Jewelry Business Forum. The Jewelry Business Forum is a free digital conference. It is a five-day long webinar. It's designed to empower small jewelry business owners. Attendees receive professional development in marketing and business skills while being inspired for the new year. That's right, it's approaching and taking place Monday, January 17th through Friday, January 21st. The speaker lineup consists of experts in the jewelry field and entrepreneurship space, and yours truly will be giving a presentation. Mine's on Friday. It's entitled Value Optimized Pricing, and, you know, in my opinion, it is not to be missed. I said this already, but I'm going to say it again. This is a free digital conference that only requires you taking the time to register. Visit halsteadbead.com slash info slash jewelry dash business dash forum to sign up and learn more about this invaluable opportunity. And yeah, you probably didn't get that link. I'm going to put it in the description of the podcast. I make it easy on you. Coincidentally, my guest today is also a speaker for the 2022 Halstead Jewelry Business Forum. A jewelry designer, entrepreneur, mentor, podcast host, and now published author. Wow. I wonder if this powerhouse within the jewelry community actually sleeps. I first learned about Tracy Matthews through Flores and Thrive Academy, the jewelry business accelerator she founded. And, you know, through that, she has advised hundreds of designers. She trademarked the desired brand effect, which is the system that she uses to help designers bring their offline businesses online. And it also happens to be the title of her first published book. So please welcome today's guest, Tracy Matthews. every month we're doing this how are things in Arizona it's good the weather's getting I sound like one of those people when I moved from California to the east coast I was like why do people talk about the weather all the time and then I got it because you just really never know now I'm like one of those people who like literally talks about the weather all the time when it's nice because I'm like (laughs) it's so annoying (laughs) California when I lived in California everything was uh it was always nice. Like you never really yeah. spoke about it. Like it rained occasionally, but that was it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's getting cool. So it's nice. Like this morning I, I left um, home to come here and it was 60 degrees, which is oh, nice. Yeah. 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 Not like you 110. Know, not 120, you know, <sighs> at seven in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That is a lot. I'm going to turn myself down just a little bit. Okay. And so 
All right. So you live in Arizona right now, but Tracy, where mm-hmm. are you from? Because I feel like I, California. in my mind, oh, you're from California. And then you lived Originally, in New York City. I lived in New York City for 15 years in San Francisco before that. Oh, so you just keep living in all the most expensive cities in the world. That's fun. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like I LA, love San Francisco. No, I mean, Arizona. <laughs> well, I moved here thinking I was going to save a ton of money, which it is a lot less expensive here, but mm-hmm. now it's, a lot of people are moving here because it's pretty mm. open. And I think people are just like, oh, I'll move to Arizona. So real estate is insane. Like a year ago, things were like, like yeah. something that was a million dollars is now 2 million. But I mean, they're big wow. spaces compared to East Coast, but yeah. 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 I haven't spent a lot of time there, but um, I have family in Phoenix. And so when I was with her, I just kept commenting on, I was like, are we still in Phoenix? Like we drive somewhere and it's very sprawling. And I also, it's huge. It's huge. And there's also a lot of like open space. So I'd Mm -hmm. be like, Oh, that was, you know, a good mile of nothing. Are we in technically a suburb? She's like, no, we're still in Phoenix. I'm like, what? Yeah. You could drive an hour and still be in technically in Phoenix. It's a really, really, it's sprawling. I don't, I just don't understand. I don't know anything about this place because we don't do that much, but (laughs) yeah, you're a newbie. (laughs) Okay. So born in California, were you born in the Bay area? No, I was born in Southern California in Orange County. Oh, okay. And then I went Um, to school in LA, like for college. And that's when I learned jewelry making. And then I went to move to San Francisco after I got married and then New York. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Did in San Francisco, is that when you launched? Okay. So first of all, listeners, hi, sorry, we didn't mean to ignore you. <laughs> We're just like chit-chatting. <laughs> We're just jumping right in. Um, I'm sitting here with, well, not sitting here with, but I am Zooming with um, Tracy Matthews. And Tracy, we're going to talk about, well, you do a lot of things today. So we're going to zero in on a few of those things. Um, Let's do it. First and foremost, you are now a published author congratulations. That's a big deal. Um, I'm sitting here staring at your pre-release copy. That made me feel so special. I think this is the first time I've ever gotten a book that wasn't like officially published yet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's entitled the desired brand effect stand out in a saturated market with a timeless jewelry brand. Yes. Needed definite important conversation. Um, can you give everybody your elevator pitch as to all the things that you do? Yeah. So I am, I've been a jewelry designer for the last 25 years. I can't believe where the time went, but I've been designing jewelry for 25 years. My career has gone through a whole variety of iterations from, you know, selling on the more, I would say more mass market, but in two boutique stores and specialty stores around the world to closing that business and then becoming a private jeweler, just working with private clients And that Mm -hmm. evolved into a mentoring company called Flourish and Thrive Academy, where I mentor jewelry designers, makers, other handmade product business owners, and help them run successful businesses. Mm -hmm. And now I'm an author. So I do it all. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, just keep on adding on. Um, And I first learned about you, mm, I think it was probably 20... 13 or 2014, I want to say. And I had been hired to, to run somebody's booth at New York now, um, mm-hmm. Vanessa Gade, which I'm sure yeah. that you know. Oh, you yeah. Are, she used to work for me. Oh, that's funny. I've actually, hey, Vanessa, if you're listening, we still have never met in person. Um, oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I know. It's wild. I hope to meet her in person someday. Um, but that's when I first heard about Flourish and Thrive. And now you had a partner in that initially, correct? Yes. So okay. to be clear, Vanessa worked for me in San Francisco when I had my jewelry company there. Oh, so funny. she worked for me probably right when Etsy started. I remember this. She was the first person who told me about Etsy. And uh-huh. I'd already had a business for a long time. I was selling in stores. It wasn't something I was interested in doing. And she's like, well, look, I have some of my pieces up. And she was a student. Mm-hmm. And I was just so proud to see her evolution and how she's grown. So shout out to you, yeah. Vanessa. <laughs> I know. Her work is rad. It was fun to get to yeah. sell it to people. Super well, cool. Yeah. Also wasn't and hard to sell it. <laughs> I know, right? Super cool yeah. um, structural stuff. Very awesome. So yes, I founded Flourish and Thrive Academy with my good friend, Robin Kramer. And we mm-hmm. worked together to build that company for many years. And then a couple years ago, 
uh, we decided to part ways because she really had an interest to really go deep into wholesale, like teaching people about wholesale. She was yeah. dealing with some things in her personal life that um, we both agreed that she needed to go just handle, which w- was good for her. She needed that time. And also yeah. she's really in her zone of genius at Red Boot Consulting doing mm. that. We we still support each other in every yeah. way. And I really wanted to lean in into helping people build an omni-channel business, which I think mm-hmm. is really important these days with a, a big focus on selling online. So Flourish and Thrive Academy um, has evolved a bit, but we do have a heavy emphasis on um, omni-channel or multi-stream businesses and helping people yeah. in particular with online sales, because I think that's super important these days. I like that terminology, omni-channel, and I feel like that conversation is huge in the past year and a half mm-hmm. because the pandemic hit and I'm sure you had, I was talking to uh, Liz Cantner and I was like, yeah. how are you doing? She's like, I'm so busy because all these clients of mine that I've been telling for years to diversify yep. the way that they make their sales or et cetera, all of a sudden are like, oh, I have to pivot completely online and I've never mm-hmm. put as much work into that as I should have. Yeah. So you're like the- omni-channel speaks to you, like mentoring them to embrace all the different facets of it. Well, I, I personally believe that there mm-hmm. is no one way to build a successful jewelry business. And I think that yes. designers or any other product business, in fact, mm-hmm. I think designers have to really lean into what works for them. The yeah. one thing that I will say is that if you build your business on a third-party platform like Etsy or Amazon, mm-hmm. um, and most of your sales come from those channels, you could be putting yourself in serious jeopardy. I feel the same yeah. way about only selling wholesale. I think that you, like COVID was a great example of how this can affect you. 2008, what that wiped out my business, my first business is a great example of how not having multiple streams of revenue can really affect a business and potentially even put them out if they're not careful. So when, uh, for the past like five years, I I could tell there was going to be a shift. I don't know what it was. And maybe it was Mm -hmm. just me like kind of operating out of my own trauma when 2008 happened and wiped out my first business. Yeah. And I just wanted people to be prepared to be, to be thinking about different ways. Yeah. Um, and also I had seen the shift of the ability to actually sell online. we had a lot yeah. of designers who had started building their own websites who were seeing significant sales coming from the websites. And so I wanted to really help people protect their businesses because there's nothing mm-hmm. worse. I mean, it's fine to have a, a, a short, financial setback, like some people did, or some people didn't, you know, cause some people's yeah. businesses really grew during COVID. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you just need to be prepared. I just don't want people to be blindsided. Like, and I, I so I started preaching from the choir, just be, being like, you got to get prepared. Something's going to shift. We're not always going to be in like this awesome run of things going mm-hmm. really well for people. And because economies change, they're cyclical and yeah. We, we just can't predict what's going to happen in the world. So that was my main thing. And I knew that if you could reach your customers directly, because mm-hmm. I had done it when I started my second business, that you literally can create a much more profitable business because you can charge retail prices selling directly to, to consumers. Yeah. You have more control over your outcomes because the amount of effort you put in can oftentimes has a direct result. So it might take a little time mm-hmm. to build, but that you'll have a direct output based on like how much marketing you do or how well you're actually um, embracing the concepts of e-commerce. And the more that you kind of lean into that, in addition to your other revenue streams, it just like they all kind of work together and build. And so yeah. I was super adamant about it. And I'm glad I was because the people who listened to me had a really great um, year last year. And many of yeah. them were able to replace a lot of their in-person sales or their wholesale sales just by selling online. Well, I love that. Okay. Yeah. I have so many questions for you. First of all, sure. you go out of, when you graduated college, what was your degree? Was it jewelry metalsmithing? No. So, um, short backstory. Uh, I yeah. left school after year two, I was going to be a communications major at Loyola Marymount university, which was huge, like in entertainment and Oh, I was a communications communications major too. I also dropped out. Fine. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) That was the plan. And then I honestly was taking a two-year hiatus. My parents were kind of still dealing with like a nasty divorce and I kind of got caught in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I was one of those people who couldn't really get financial aid because my parents made too much money, but also yeah. they couldn't really afford to put me to school because I come from a big family and there was a lot of us. So yeah. it was like a weird situation. So I, had, mm-hmm. I went and just worked full time. I still lived with my friends from school. I felt like I was at school. I knew I really wanted to go back to that school because I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. I was just trying to find a way. And then tragically, my mom died. And it was mm-hmm. super sad, uh, really tragic, sudden thing that happened mm-hmm. and un- unforeseen. And when that happened, I was able to kind of go to the dean and say, like, look, I don't have parents supporting me. Like, this is they haven't been supporting me for years. And I don't have them. Ne- like, my mom just died, who was like my like main parent, I guess I would say. Yeah. Um, Sounds really bad. I have a great relationship with my dad now, but it was like... No, but I, I get that. I, <laughs> you get it. Yeah, yeah. I have divorced parents and there is that one parent you're a little bit more connected with. I totally get that. Yeah. And I'm really sorry to hear your mom pass suddenly. Thank you. It's hard. It's been so long ago. I mean, it's like 28 years now, but... So when she mm-hmm. passed away, I was able to go to the school and um, based on my previous experience there, they were able to give me a grant for part of it. I got financial aid for the rest of my education so I could go back. And I needed to finish in two years and be able to work full time. And I really wanted to be a studio arts major and -hmm. figure out a way to do that. But I just, I couldn't because if any, anyone who's listening, who was a studio arts major, you know, that how much time those classes take, it's really hard to work at all Yeah, (laughs) Um, because they're three hours twice a week instead of um, an hour to an hour and a half twice a week. So I was only able to take art classes as an elective and I ended up being a European studies major. And that's when I took the jewelry making class for my first art elective, because I was, I was able to take an art elective or two with that major and still graduate and have that apply. So uh, my teacher, Sue Dorman, like was awesome. She taught me like the basics of metal smithing. I was already kind of like dabbling in like beading and stuff before oh, yeah. that. You so made I was that fascinated jewelry? with jewelry. Yeah, that mm-hmm. beaded jewelry. Yeah, we all all, we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> actually, my first collection was actually a beaded collection when I started selling to stores because I was living in these small apartments and I couldn't set up a torch, torch. or anything inside my, yeah. stu- my apartment. But I did take metal smithing classes for years and that was sort of my passion for jewelry. And because with the, combining that with my background working in retail to put myself through school, I was like, this makes perfect sense. And I started seeing seeing these independent designers coming on the scenes and I just wanted to be one of them. Yeah. So that's kind of like the short of the long of the story. When you graduated, what was your first job? From school? I was still working at Nordstrom. So I put myself, I worked in small boutiques during college and then Mm -hmm. transitioned at Nordstrom because I was making commission. I could make more money there. And I got married right after school. I'm not married to that guy anymore, but I got Mm -hmm. married and we moved to San Francisco and I worked Mm -hmm. at Nordstrom for two years until I started my business um, just Mm -hmm. to help us kind of get by in an expensive city. So Oh, okay. It was interesting times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like so long ago. It's like a hustle. lifetime ago. <laughs> um, so you have your first business. And I really, I mean, I like talking about failure because if we always focus on accomplishment, yeah. we don't have a realistic viewpoint of how things go. Um, yep. So you talk about you get this business up and running. You had an employee. I mean, that in and of itself, Several. I always sell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how big did that business get? Were you like... I had about um, 13 full and part-time staffers at one point. Uh, So when Vanessa was working for me, she didn't Mm -hmm. work for me for very long. It was like kind of right before I was moving to New York. Yeah. Um, A lot of the production people I hired were from the California College of the Arts. So they were in the jewelry arts program there. And it was Mm -hmm. great because they would refer their friends. They would come work for a while. And it was awesome. So um, I had 13, like um, a couple of full-time people and then um, a a handful of part-timers kind of helping me assemble the jewelry. I was what selling kind of jewelry. Um, was it like, it was all sorts. So it started as beaded jewelry, but mm-hmm. I had that business for 11 years. So we evolved into a complete, like what would be considered now handmade. So a okay. lot of it's even some of the stuff you see now is very similar to what my line was like, but this was back yeah. in 2000, like from 1998 till 2009 was when I had that okay. business. And so it was, uh, we evolved into kind of metal smithing and we, I was sold in about 350 stores around the world. 
yeah. um, tons of press, like all the celebrity stuff, like all the things that I, you, I dreamed about Yeah, when I was like a young aspiring artist in LA mm -hmm. seeing like celebrities come in and buy the independent designer jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So, okay. But you don't just get to 350 boutiques. You sound no. like, I mean, obviously you run a academy that is based on mentorship and you seem like a very self-taught individual in a lot of ways. Um, what, okay. So it didn't happen overnight. How no. long did it take until you felt your business? Well, first of all, did you have like startup money or did you just like grow it gradually as you went? I had a small amount of startup money. It was probably, mm -hmm. I don't know. It was enough to, it doesn't seem like very much right now because <laughs> the cost of because, living has changed so much, but yeah, totally. I had about probably about $30,000 and that was enough money. Like the purpose of that money was to replace mm -hmm. my income for a year yeah. so I could work on generating sales in the business. It wasn't a lot, okay. but it was, it was something, um, back oh, then. $30,000 is still a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, well living in, you know, I always put it into perspective living in San oh, Francisco right. wasn't a lot, but I also had a husband at the time we had two incomes coming into the household. So yeah. it was helpful. I invested part of that money into supplies and getting inventory built up. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I rented a studio and all those things and yeah. spent six months not really doing anything. Cause I was terrified to put myself out there cause I was afraid to be rejected. Like a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. Until one day my husband said, when I came home from work, like, have you made, he kept asking me like, Oh, how many sales did you make today? I'm like, Oh, I'm still working on my collection. I got to perfect it before I start calling those stores, you know? And finally he was like, you got to go back to your job. Like we can't continue surviving on this. I'm going to give you like, you know, another month or so you got to start making sales. So I did it. I called up the stores and this was before the internet. It was so hard. <laughs> Also good on the husband up. for the kick in the pants. <laughs> I know. Nice. I want to throw up every time I picked up the phone. And by the way, I was working with some private individuals. Like my, I kind of started out in the bridal market designing bridesmaids jewelry. So that was kind of how I started. Oh, the um, bridal industry, so I like man. A it is yeah. good. Booming. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Great industry to be in. If you could position part <laughs> yeah. of your business to be in it, you will always have customers because people get married, then they get divorced and they get remarried. And if they like what you did, they'll come back to you. Um, um, and I've also experienced they'll get divorced, bring you those stones and ask you to make them a, I'm single mm -hmm. and don't like him anymore ring. That's exactly. a good one too. hundred <laughs> percent. All ending. the things. So where were we? So yeah. So I finally started calling up stores. I got rejected a lot and it was hard in the beginning, but then I just realized, you know, that my desire to not go back to a retail job or go back to work something else for someone else was much yeah. stronger than my fear of rejection. And so that was the thing that got me through that period. And, and within about six months, six, seven months is when I started really kind of seeing sales come in within mm -hmm. about a year was when I felt like, all right, I'm making some progress. I got picked up by Metier in San Francisco, which was a, a great account at that time. I got picked up by twist in mm -hmm. Portland which was a great account. A friend introduced me to them and getting those key accounts back then as an emerging artist in like 99 or something like that was yeah. fantastic because that opened up the door to a lot of other stores. So, yeah, because people are like, Oh, where are you sold to? Because a lot of people don't have original. They wanted to know that you were number one, that you could be trusted, you know, if they were going to pick yeah. you up, but also, um, there, I will say that some of the stores, you know, maybe didn't, really, they wanted to know if like, you were cool enough to like carry, I guess. So if you're carried totally by some of those stores, thing. Yes, it's it annoying. I'm like, is. don't you just have like original, um, ideas? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Or what is so, your taste? Do you even like this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I always, I always selected things based on what I like, not about what other things were sold. Like it wasn't, mm -hmm. that was never my thing, but I, I played the game because I knew it was a thing. Yeah. And I remember when I got my first order from twist, it seemed like I had hit the jackpot. I remember it being about four or $5,000 and back in for someone who at a certain point was making $30,000 a year, a $4,000 order that needed to be shipped right away or 5,000 seemed like I'd hit the jackpot. And so that was yeah. around the time when I, I hired my first employee, a, a girl named Mara. She came from California college of the arts 
she started helping me make the jewelry and that's when, and I got a rep and that's when things started kind of taking off. So, okay. Um, I would say like by year three or four, I had about three people working for me. And then by year mm-hmm. six or seven, that's when we kind of ramped up to about the, um, about 13 people. Some of the, a lot of them were part-time, but yeah, um, a couple full-timers in there. So as somebody now that other jewelers who were in your place at that time turn to, mm-hmm. cause they're like, okay, I need to jump to the next tier or the next yep. step. You know, it can be really hard and really scary. Um, and you're somebody that now people ask that advice or you give that guidance to, mm-hmm. but for you, as you were figuring this out, like, did you hire uh, an accountant? Did you hire a PR firm? Like, how did you navigate right. these like really hard to tackle aspects of the business? Well, in the beginning, I was doing everything myself. Um, I will yeah. tell you the first thing that out- I outsourced was an accountant. Yeah. That like administrative work like that, like, um, I hope this doesn't like offend anyone, but like bean counting, like it, like I'm so creative. Like it drove me crazy. Like I couldn't, I could do it. I could do it. I just did not like it. And so I realized very early on the power of delegation, getting things off your plate Mm -hmm. as soon as you can that are not in your wheelhouse. And so I found some accountant or a a bookkeeper who could do my books. And then I've never done my own taxes. So I had an accountant too, um, that was like a family friend referral or something for a while. And then eventually like, I was like, okay, what's the next thing that's kind of sucking up my time that I could hire someone for less money than I want to make an hour to do work that I, I think I can find someone good. And also, um, would free up my time to do the more important parts of the business like sales, which is usually not the thing that people do want to do. And so that's when I started finding people to help me make the jewelry. Cause quite frankly, the jewelry I was making at that time really was labor intensive with your hands and my hands started hurting so bad. I just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And, um, so I knew that that was something I wanted to design the original pieces, but I wanted someone else to do the production. Cause we were shipping sometimes like, I don't know, a hundred pieces of the same design over and over again. And I, that was boring yeah. to me. So oh, I, I feel just, you. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. sometimes a thousand pieces, you know, when my business got bigger. So it was I think interesting. It's really important to like, I love how you mentioned like, what would I want to pay myself for an hour? Is it worth it? It's, yeah. it's scary to feel like, Oh, you know, paying somebody $2,500 a month to take over your photography or your marketing or whatever mm-hmm. feels like a lot. But when you break it down hourly, like I have never wanted to do photography, like yeah. for any of my jewelry, I will pay and barter and do whatever to not have to do it. <laughs> exactly. And that is fine. Right? But I feel like some people get a lot of shame about like, oh, I don't want to learn how to do my own photography. I also don't ever want to change my own bike tires. I pay people for that. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> but I could do so, it. Yeah, totally. And I feel you. And I've gone back and forth because photography can get, that's like something that can get really expensive. So I've done it all where I ended up like buying the whole setup and then like, it never looks as good as when you have like a professional photographer. And I think like Mm -hmm. over the years, I would just continually think, okay, like what can we afford and what do I want to get off my plate? And that was kind of like the filter. And that's still the same filter that I have now. And it's evolved and changed. And like, I'm in a place right now where I do have a bigger team, but because of, um, shifts in roles and some of the things that are happening over at flourish and thrive, I have things that are on my plate right now that I haven't had in years, which it's an interesting experience to have to go back to doing something that you haven't done in a long time because you don't have the right person in that seat. And so Mm -hmm. it's, um, an evolution of course, always, and, uh, an interesting exploration in hiring. have you ever hired a financial advisor? You know, yes. when you're trying to make these big decisions, like how do you know when you can afford a marketing team or whatever? Well, I mean, first and foremost, like everyone who has a business needs to just learn how to read the numbers, whether you hire someone to teach you to do that or you take a class or whatever. I mean, yeah. Um, the way that we've determined it really is, through like looking at our cash flow statements and see like projected cash flow, mm-hmm. like what what do we have and like budgets, basically like team budgets. Um, mm-hmm. I did have a CFO who worked for me for a couple of years. 
I really enjoyed working with him. He was great. Mm-hmm. I felt like at a certain point, I didn't really need him anymore because the, the value he was bringing wasn't anything new that I couldn't handle. Um, yeah. I'm in the process right now of finding someone um, who is going to be doing like a little bit of a different role, but similar, not as much CFO work, more like um, combination between a CFO and a controller. We're going to call them a business manager. They're not going to necessarily do our bookkeeping, but more like helping us with cash flow projections and like business model, financial modeling and stuff like that. And for those listening, if you don't know what a CFO is, it's company financial officer, correct? No. Or chief financial officer, whatever. Yeah. Chief, chief financial, financial officer. officer. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. And under that umbrella can mean something different depending on the company. Yes. Got and there's it. great, you know, this guy was just fractional. He wasn't um, full time for me. And there's a ton of fractional CFOs who will come in and work with small companies and you would pay mm. anywhere from like, 500 to like maybe 5,000 a month, depending on the size of your company and who you're working for. So it, it is, mm. it can, um, be affordable when you're ready. I don't think super small companies really need it. I think when you start getting into the multiple six or high six figures or seven figures is when you kind of, it's more of a important thing to bring on. I, we could talk for hours. This yeah. is, I, <laughs> Now I understand why you had to start a whole mentoring company for this. Yeah, so much to do. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll let's scoot along the trajectory because I really want to get to when you started thinking about writing a book because yeah. that for me seems like a very overwhelming or daunting task in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have your company and it kind of goes under in 2008, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then what did out. you pivot to right away um, when that happened? Well, it took me about a year to wind the business down and a year and a about a year and a half, well, about a year to make the decision and a year and a half to wind the company down. Mm-hmm. So I had to get to a place mentally where I was okay of letting that business go. Um, I was pretty yeah. miserable in my life. I, it, the business had taken the life out of me and I let it. And that's something that I really teach now. And it's a core concept in the desire brand effect too. Mm. is that it's super important to build your business around the kind of life you want. Because if you do it the other way around, you become like beholden to this business and it becomes really hard to stay passionate about it if it's not aligned with what you want your life to look like. So um, I got really clear on that. And I took about six months off after the end of 2009. So early 2010. Yeah. to just like do some soul searching and figure out what it is that I wanted to do. I st- I'd been teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. I'd been, um, I said, I wanted to start this like private jeweler company where I was doing custom work and I was doing a couple things for friends and family or people who are in my, um, existing client network. Yeah. And then I officially launched my custom jewelry business that summer in 2010. And mm-hmm. within 18 months, because of the desire brand effect and everything I'd learned through that 11 years with my first business and kind of using this methodology that I didn't even really have a name for yet and understanding like, what was it going to take? Um, that company scaled up pretty quickly. In fact, mm. in, within 18 months, I, back to $30,000, I'd made my first $30,000 a month in profits, which was huge wow. for me because um, I got to take home all the money. It wasn't just the profit of the business. It was the profit of me. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it was like a one woman show with like some freelancers and a freelance jewelry, like outsourced jewelry production team. Um, my company had very little overhead and I was like, gosh, there's something to this. Like maybe I don't have my name in lights and I'm not like really actively pursuing all this PR anymore or, um, celebrity fans, but like, this is awesome. Cause I get to do what I love designing and making jewelry, but I don't have to deal with like all the other parts of the business that were kind of stressful for me. And everyone has a different tolerance. I think that there is a place for everyone to have the kind of business that they want. So I never want to discourage someone from going all in in wholesale because I grew a business that was shipping thousands of units a month doing wholesale. Like it was awesome. I had like some of the best stores in the world carrying my products, which was amazing. It's just a lifestyle decision. I was getting a little bit older. Like I was, I just mm-hmm. turned 40 and I was tired. I didn't want to work that hard. It was, it's easier to get like to hustle and grind like that when you're in your early thirties than it is when you're in your early forties. And actually I have a lot of energy, mm-hmm. so I don't know, really know what I'm talking about, I but was, it was really 
I'm just I'm looking now. at you and I'm like, wait, <laughs> how old are you? I'm 50. I was born in 1971. You're 50? Yeah. Oh. Guys, I mean, sorry that it's a podcast. You can definitely look her picture up, but I'm sitting over here like, wait a minute, what? In your late 40s? Who are you? Um, you look great. Yeah, the hustle Thanks. has kept you young. Mm-hmm. I always say I think it's because I didn't have kids. Like, that's really, you know, now I'm a stepmom, I'm, but like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like, you know, enjoyed life instead of raising kids until now. Now I'm now, Actually, I still enjoy life, but like now totally. I'm, I'm a stepmom. It's like a different, I don't, I'm not. It's the lack of sleep. I I think the lack of sleep definitely like puts the age on your face and it's inevitable with children. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you pivot to this custom jewelry and your methodology or what you had learned in that first business you put to use, it kind of skyrockets. That's Uh exciting. And, um, where are you based at during this custom business time? Are you still in San Francisco? New York. I'd moved to New York, um, in 2006. So oh, moving to okay. New York was like the best thing I ever did for Tracy Matthews Designs, my first company. It was also mm-hmm. probably the worst thing I ever did because it was so expensive. And I like was catching up for years to try and like keep up with the cost of living there. But yeah, um, and San Francisco is expensive too. It's just a different level of expense. Now they're about the same, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I'd moved already moved to New York and this company was started in New York. And it was great okay. because like, New York has people who have money. And, um, I remember (laughs) Mm -hmm. speaking with one of my, uh, first coaches when I was starting that business, the first people that like, I was like, all right, I'm going to get a coach. And she's like, who do you want to sell to? And I was like, I want to make jewelry for rich people. Cause I was tired of getting like, (laughs) um, tired of getting people like haggling me on price and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I had this internal mantra, like I make jewelry for rich people. (laughs) It was great. It sounds so like, um, empty, but actually it was a really great motivator for me to like build confidence within myself that I was worth designing for people with a lot of money. And it really, and this is a core theme, I think for a lot of artists is sometimes they don't feel like they deserve whatever it is that we're told Mm -hmm. by society. And I think it's important to always be building that confidence level. So this was sort of like, you know, obviously I wasn't going to put that on my website or something like I design jewelry for rich people because that's weird. But internally, it was a great motivator because it helped me um, understand my worth and like what I was capable of. Yeah. And also, um, as somebody who has worked for individuals who made basically like bridge jewelry or what sounded mm-hmm. like your first company to somebody who works for somebody that sounds like your second company. Um, yeah. you know, you can make one piece and sell that piece for $15,000 or you can yep. make 300 pieces that sell for $15,000 yep. in that's so different. Much, I, and it's so nicer. different. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved yeah. the shift to be able to like only have mm-hmm. to design like a couple pieces a month and make a ton yeah. of money. Like it was so different for me. Um, definitely a lot more handholding and personalized experience, but I, it's so fine. I, I was enjoy literally anyway. just going to say that. Yeah. 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 I was like, the thing that we're not mentioning here is that with that comes like a lot of entitlement of like, you're available yeah. to me whenever I need you. And mm-hmm. a lot more difficulty in terms of navigating the design and the client relationship in some ways. Yeah. Not, not difficulty. I guess I don't want to say that, but it's, um, it's just a different way you have to navigate it. Just different. It's mm-hmm. like um, very individualized um, connection and support mm-hmm. and messaging and stuff like that. Like a high touch of service versus Emotional like energy. Yeah. yeah. Versus like, okay, I'm going to grind to get the order and then we ship it and they pay. And then you follow up to try and make sure it's selling through so that you can get the next order kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Different yeah. kind of energy. Totally. Both are great though. I mean, I yeah. want to give it up for the world. Totally. <laughs> So yep. what year did you start Flourish and Thrive? 2012. So oh. that kind of evolved out of a weird thing. You know, I'd started um, at the end of my, of Tracy Matthews Designs, we called it TMD for short. That uh, I hired a, a consultant who mm-hmm. literally changed my life forever. His name is Phil Clements. He passed away a couple years ago, maybe like five or six years ago now. And I was devastated when I found out he died he died randomly in a plane crash, which is weird. Like he, was a, he had a hobby of flying those small planes or whatever. Yeah. And he was landing. Something weird happened. I don't know. And when I found out, I was like gutted because 
I don't think it, I wish I could, had a, would have had an opportunity to really tell him like the impact that he had made on me because mm-hmm. I think he knew it, but like later it instilled in me, like, you know what, this is not like a solo game. Like everyone needs support. And, and I think that mentoring, um, hiring consultants, finding a coach, like taking a program, whatever it is, whatever floats your boat based on where you are in business and what you can afford is one of the most important things that you can do to be successful. Yeah. And so, um, I, he consulted with me for my company for about one, one and a half to two years or something like that. And then when we wound down Tracy Matthews designs, our arrangement ended, he just gave us like the sign off, whatever we had to do. And then, um, I was just seeking like, who's the next person. Right. So I found this online program and from a woman named Marie Forleo. And I, I was fascinated by the way that she, uh, first of all, she, like, I learned how to kind of like create a personality and sell online, even with a product brand. Mm -hmm. So like I was a case study of hers for years because I was one of the only product-based business owners she had in the beginning. But more than that, um, what I found fascinating was like how you could take, um, like teach people how to do something online. And so I was like, Hmm, people were reaching out to me because, you know, I wasn't really sharing my full story at that point. But I'd had um, a lot of people who had been following me. They would see my stuff in the magazines or whatever. And so they'd reach out and ask for support. In fact, some of my previous students would like pull out press clippings. They're like, oh my gosh, I went through these old press clippings and I found some things I cut out of yours inside there. And I didn't even put the two and two together till now, which is (laughs) kind of fun. Um, Yeah. And so when that happened, I started looking for coaches and stuff like that. And then also people were coming to me asking for mentoring. So I put together these consulting packages for them. And a lot of them were really in the startup phase. Like what they really needed wasn't really consulting. What they needed was a program to follow. And so I had this idea. I'm like, well, what if I could take like all this information that I've learned over the years and turn it into a program? Because a lot of people know how to make jewelry, but they don't really know how to run a business. And that was the, what I had when I started out, you know, I came from an entrepreneurial family. So I probably didn't have as much fear starting a business on my own um, as a lot of people do. I I was afraid, but also it was a different kind of afraid because I'd seen it work for people in my family. Um, I just knew it was going to take some hard work and put the time in. But what I didn't really have as a business acumen was like, I was just kind of figuring things out as I went along. And so I ended up spending more money on things than I had to like making a lot of mistakes that didn't need to be had. And so I was like, how could I help that people in the jewelry industry or even products now? Cause our programs work for both, um, help them kind of shortcut and get the results a lot faster. And so that was sort of how flourish and thrive was started. Um, Robin Kramer was a good friend of mine. She had a lot of experience in wholesale. She had just left her role at dog ear jewelry where she had grown that company from like a low seven figure company to like multiple seven figures and had really crushed it with them. And, um, we decided to launch this thing together. Um, I came to her with the idea. I was like, you know, I have this idea, but I was still, there was part of me that still didn't feel super confident about doing it by myself. So having her by my side made me feel like, okay, well there's two of us. So like if we put two Mm -hmm. heads together, like, the failure Tracy isn't going to like fail, you know, with this thing. <laughs> well, it's weird how, strength how, in numbers. I know. Well, it's yeah. so interesting how your mind can get in the way of like your perception of yourself and stuff like that. But oh yeah, all the, the cool time. part about the cool part about starting this with Robin was she has such a different skill set for me, and we both are like we're super into the community and building this community of designers. She, yeah. um, I'm more. I was more like the. I'm going to kick your ass. Like, let's go like, um, <laughs> yeah, crack the whip person. And she was more like, Oh, I got you. Like, let me help you along. I'm going to coddle you a little bit more. And totally. so it was nice. Cause there was like the, excuse my language, two like the ball buster, yeah, the yeah, ball buster over here, like cracking the whip <laughs> and then like trying to get people motivated. And she was the one who's like, you got, you know, it's okay. Like I totally feel your thing. And, you know, and, and I, I felt like that really served us super well for a very yeah. long time and you balanced um, each other out yeah That's lovely it was great and since that i mean so many courses have come out of that 
from that point. Yeah. But our signature program, Laying the Foundation, is still around. And um, I now have a coaching program called Momentum, which is super fun. I think, okay, so I just want to say a few things. A, I love this. And <laughs> when you were saying you're like, I know so many jewelers that didn't know necessarily how to run a business. I know so many students who are going through art school and going to graduate yeah. with a ton of debt and have no idea about the logistics of what they're yeah. about to try to approach. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because I've launched this podcast in years past, I think I've lectured or visited at least 20 universities. Mm -hmm. Um, always in a professional practice capacity, they are so needed. And so yes. it's that same demographic that you launched something that was really needed because yes. it, I think there's also probably something going on too, where it's like people are getting all these skill sets and are being empowered to start businesses. Um, but there wasn't a ton of resources to really tell you like step-by-step step how to do it really. Um, exactly. I mean, we had to look things up in the phone book when I started, you know, it's like yeah. the internet was not around. Like you had to find someone to tell you what to do or read it in the paper. It was crazy. Um, and I and think there's something about like the internet, there's so much information. So people say that you can just like Google or figure anything out, but in the same breath, there's so much out there. Like how do you distill what you actually need and put it in a logistical order to exactly. like approach? Yeah. Well, you, you brought up something really important is like in art school, people leave with their, they have amazing skill set. Like yeah. many of the people that I hired to work for me, like Vanessa and Mara and Gabby, like all these people who worked for me in the early days, they're much better jewelers than I was. Like they could do yeah. a lot more than I could. I, cause I didn't mm -hmm. go through a four year metal arts program. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they love working for me because they learn how to run a business. Like that was like the, the thing that I think was missing because, you know, Mara used to say to me, she was my first employee. She used to say like, I can't believe how much I'm learning. Like they don't teach you anything about how to market your art after school. They just teach you how to make it. And so yeah. that was always like running in the back of my head as we started this. And I think it is really important because I think right now, especially in this weird time and space that we're in, like, I think that mm -hmm. there's going to be another resurgence of small business coming to the scene. I know that people, consumers really want to shop from small businesses. They're tired of ordering things from Amazon. You know what yeah. I mean? They want to shop the independent brands and be able to find them. And the more mm -hmm. that you can learn to put yourself out there and start something for yourself, even if it's just step-by-step, step, it's not full-time in the beginning, I think the more empowered you'll be because you'll have a lot more control over your outcomes in your life, which I think is important. Yeah. Okay. So for those who are listening who are um, excited and are interested in force and thrive. So this is predominantly something that is like, say for instance, I do sign up for one of your courses. Mm -hmm. Um, is it videos? Is it like packets? Like describe what yeah. It, the, yeah, the assets are. Yeah. So, to speak. so we, well, we have two core programs right now. We have a couple of other like workshops that we run a couple of times a year, but the mm -hmm. two core programs are laying the foundation and momentum coaching. So typically what I recommend is that people start with laying the foundation and the determiner for that program is really from startup to about six figures in annual sales. The mm -hmm. only um, caveat I would say to that is if you're selling fine jewelry, you might still need the program up to like a, a couple hundred thousand because it's really about building a brand. And as we yeah. know, like, you know, $5,000 piece versus, you know, 10, you know, or $150 piece or whatever it is, you know, all those yeah. things. It's, um, a different, um, a different beast, but at the same time, like that program walks you through step-by-step step of, um, align like really setting up the business the right way, all the sales and marketing goal setting, um, developing the pillar, the basic pillars of the desire brand effect. So creating desire, which is all about attracting your audience, um, sharing desire, which is all about the sales and marketing and delivering a great experience for people so that they come back because we know it is a lot easier to build a business with repeat customers than it is to always be finding new customers. Mm -hmm. And there's this philosophy called the thousand true fans philosophy. It was developed by Kevin Kelly. And he, and he said, artists who have a thousand true fans who buy from them every single year, even a hundred dollars a year can easily make a hundred thousand dollars a year. If they, those, those fans buy from them every single year. So if you get someone buying from you more than once a year, think of the impact of that, right? Yeah. 
And then the third piece of that is really scaling desire. And this is all about the business side of things. So, um, which they're all about the business side of things, but two, two of the pillars are more about like um, branding and marketing. And then the other one is really about um, developing the bones of your business, like mm -hmm. goal setting, the financial structure, understanding like how to read um, your financial statements, um, systems and support and eventually hiring and building a team. So in laying the foundation, mm -hmm. we really focus primarily on creating desire, sharing desire, and a little bit of scaling desire. We, we touch on the basics of, you know, obviously setting goals, which is important, creating like a basic business plan so that you have something to follow and yeah. not like an extensive 30 pager. I don't believe in those. Um, just like one page tells you where you're going. Right. And then, um, yeah. <laughs> understanding the importance of setting up systems, because this is a thing in the beginning, people are like, I don't want to hire people then their business starts to grow and they need to hire people and they are not prepared to hire people. And it becomes yeah. a huge challenge. And they just expect people to come in and uh, be able to do the job without being able to train them. And then inevitably the business owner is like, well, it's taking me so much time to train them. I might as well just do it myself. So I'm going to fire them. This happens all the time. I can't, like, if I could I'd be like super rich if I had a, a dollar for every student <laughs> who said that, said that to me. Cause it, this part is really important. Even if you, don't, yeah. you plan to never hire people because you need to speed up the amount of time it takes you to do things. So mm -hmm. our next um, program is momentum, which really focuses on like the next tier of all of those things and a, a heavy focus on the scaling desire piece. So the business operations and um, getting into more advanced marketing sales, audience attraction tactics. And we focus a lot on online, of course, too, because I truly yeah. believe in that. So, so, oh, and you asked word. about like how you asked how the programs roll out, which I did not answer. Can yeah, I, yeah, do you want to answer yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, laying the foundation is like, is like a video core, like it's videos and, um, audios, templates, tools, like worksheets. And then we have coaches mm -hmm. who are mentors in that program. So they're helping the students oh, along the way. So you get si assigned a coach. Um, sort of, well, it's a group coaching program, so it's not like one-on-one. Okay. -on -one. You can, you can upgrade to one-on-one -on -one if you want it. And that's like another thing. The momentum yeah. coaching program is our hybrid one-on-one -on -one coaching and core program. So that is really more around calls, like group coaching calls and mentoring mm -hmm. from a coach. So there are two different levels. I think getting like a one-on-one -on -one coach when you're first starting out, in my opinion, isn't always as impactful because there's a lot you need to do and implement. And so that's why we, we formulate them this way. And then once you kind of have mm -hmm. your things established, then it's time to start really dialing in on the specifics for you. Yeah. The more like catered to your actual needs, et cetera. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I actually, Tracy, I uh, paid for coaching this past six months um, with podcasting. And oh, great. Well, that's yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. And I'm, I've never paid for any kind of coaching or teaching in this. And it's something where it's like audio journalism. I invested so much in learning jewelry and like business aspects of that. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went into it and I got to say, guys, if you've been thinking about coaching or if you feel that the financial investment is just too much or et cetera, let me tell you, it is not lean into it, ask for it for Christmas or something, because oh it's like the best decision I ever made. Um, and taking that time for myself. Yeah, it kind of, it did. And it was really enjoyable. And it kind of brought some passion back to what I was doing too, because I felt really stuck. And then it kind of reinvigorated my passion in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm a wholehearted believer. I practice what I preach. I always have mm -hmm. some sort of coach or mentor or, or mastermind group that I'm in because um, there's so mm -hmm. much in business that you can't see for yourself. And I think at different phases, you might need something different. Um, like yeah. right now I'm working with someone to help us with operations because that's the, what the needs of the company are really um, craving. And mm -hmm. my plan next year is to find another mastermind group that I'm fully aligned with because um, to me, I, I've been in so many groups that have literally transformed my business and I truly believe in it so much. So you use the term desire a lot. I yes. like it. Um, very on brand for you. So the desired brand effect. Um, can you speak to, well, first of all, you guys, I'm holding your book. Just congratulations again. You wrote a book. That's Thank such you. a big deal. Yep. Um, I have a lot of questions. I had an author on the podcast once and I remember just looking at her and being like, okay, so 
how do you get paid for a book? Um, <laughs> and that episode, geez, I think she was like episode 16 or something. Sarah Rose Etter, guys, go back in the thread and like listen to that one too. Um, but so were you approached to write a book or did you call up uh, publishers and say, hey, I have this idea for a book. Would you be willing to work with me? So I, we were very strategic about the reasoning why we were creating the book. And I say mm-hmm. we because, you know, I have a team and um, this is oh, yeah. a curation of art, the concepts that I teach at Flourish yeah. and Thrive Academy. And I chose to self-publish on purpose. I didn't approach any um, editors because I have a lot of friends, uh, editors or publishing companies or any of that primarily because I have a lot of friends who've gone the traditional publishing route. And I knew that this book wasn't going to be a mass market group and Mm -hmm. even, or excuse me, this book was not going to be a mass market book. It's going to be specifically for products and jewelry. And I knew the strategy behind it. We have a lot of people coming to us who look at our $2,000 laying the foundation program and they don't believe that it's going to work for them. And so Mm -hmm. they don't, they basically just think that we're trying to um, charge a lot for something that doesn't work. So I wanted to give, be able to give people a taste of what our programs are about and what it actually really takes to run a successful business. And so the Desire Brand Effect on purpose was self-published. We're um, releasing it through Amazon in the beginning, and then mm-hmm. we'll eventually probably open it up to other um book sites. I think we have a three month thing that we have to keep it through Amazon, but then after that we'll, we'll sell it on the, the other, other book sites too. Yeah. And the purpose of it was really to share what the desire brand effect is all about. Um, the advice in that book is super actionable. Um, mm-hmm. however, when I was, uh, I'm in, a bunch, as I mentioned before, I'm in a bunch of networking groups and masterminds and stuff like that. And so I was speaking with another publisher. She's like, that book is a mainstream book and we need to turn it into one. And I was like, okay, well, in due time. And so if I do turn it into a book that's really more for a general audience, I would approach a publisher. Um, And there were a couple of reasons why I didn't want to do that up front. I wanted to get it to market faster. It takes longer to get a book um, through a publisher and to do all the things and pitching it. Just, it felt really exhausting to me and self-publishing is a super viable option. And I know a ton of people who've done it. And to for great to great success, yeah. um, and also and there's a lot of expectations from the publisher of like what you're supposed to do. Um, so, oh yeah, this was yeah. kind of uh, my reasoning beca- reasoning to go this route. And so, what we we're using this as a tool to just give people a taste of what the Desire Brand Effect is about. Mm-hmm. It, this is the core backbones of all the programs that we teach at Laying the Foundation, or excuse me, at, at Flourish and Thrive Academy. Um, a lot of the information uh, here is structured around how we teach it in our Laying the Foundation program. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so you could buy this book and dig in. And then if you want to work with us further to really help you implement this in your business, that's what would be the next step to, to join Laying the Foundation or Momentum to help us, yeah. we'll help you implement what you've learned in there. Cause there's only so much you can write in a book, like each page. Yeah. Like if this book was like one of our programs, it would be like five books. So, yeah. and not for overwhelming, but just the amount of like exercises and uh, material that we give. And so we call this kind of like scratching the surface. And then the next step is to really dip, dive deep in, into. That um, makes so much more aspects. sense to me then. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, all right, you have all these other resources. You have these programs you do. Why do a book? Are you just giving away what's in the program? This makes sense that it's kind of like, uh, it's, you know, it's a appetizer. It's a, it's a, it's a little yeah. taste. It's a feeder program. Um, mm-hmm. it's funny. I have looked through this. I also had the PDF copy, so that's what I was reading most, but Tracy, Oh my God, you guys, the jewelry world is so small, but I opened the book up and I look just at the corner and I see Alex Camacho, who is one of my best friends from Seattle. <laughs> like, with, Shut up! I'm going to see her in like two weeks. And uh, um, she credits me with getting her into making jewelry because she was my like cool fashion marketing friend when we lived in Seattle where I was like taking night classes. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'll like take pictures of your jewelry and do like a branding. I think she had like some branding exercise for school and she used my jewelry for it in the beginning. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah. She's a rock star. Her name. Yeah, she is. I mean, 
Alex is one of those people that no matter what she did, she was going to excel at because Mm -hmm. she is that person. So she goes all in on everything she does. Um, And it just happened to be jewelry that she really went for. And it's exciting. Her business. She, she joined us in momentum uh, when we were calling it SOS about the, I think it's been about three and a half years now. She was in the program for two years yeah. and the girl, her business grew so much. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, she went from doing like 65 grand a year to like when she came to us to like, I think ending last year with, and this is public knowledge. So it's, I think she'd be okay. She's yeah. doing like, I mean, I'm going to get her on the podcast figures. eventually. Yeah. <laughs> multiple six figures now, like three over 300,000 she ended last year. Yeah. And I'm so proud of her because that's not an easy feat to do in this day and age. Mm-hmm. And she just keeps leaning in and she kept leaning into each of these pillars, like really dialing it in. And the thing about someone like Alex is she has a, a customer base who loves her and like, yeah, she found the people and then she kept the, finding more of the people. And that's why her business is so successful because they buy over and over and over again. She's created mm-hmm. the desired brand effect in her business. Yeah. Um, so for this book, when is it going to be available for purchase? It's well, it'll be available November 9th, which is tomorrow as we're recording this. So it's already available. Yeah. Yeah. It's already available as you're listening to this. And so for immediately people, individuals could, so I don't shop through Amazon. So if I wanted to buy this book, I could buy it directly through you. Can I go to your website or no? Um, we aren't, we can't do that for the first three months. However, oh, Amazon. Okay. Got it. They yes. Got you for the in. Amazon thing. And then eventually we can. Um, okay. But the, for the first three months, it's available primarily on Amazon print on demand. Yeah. If for some reason you're super opposed to doing it that way, I can uh, reach out to us over at desirebrandeffect.com and mm-hmm. we can uh, get you a book some other way. <laughs> Okay. I lived in Seattle when Amazon moved I totally in and like it. destroyed the culture. And so I'm like, I have not, you know, I, I, I think totally I've gotten get like it. two things from them the last four years. Okay. Fair enough. I did want to ask a question. I keep forgetting self-publishing. How, what does that mean? Like how much would it cost to publish a book? That sounds expensive. Well, you know, I hired an editor, which is expensive yeah. because, mm-hmm. um, I can organize ideas, but like you need someone else to go look at what you're doing. So it went through a three phase process. We had two or four, four or five phase. First, it was curating all the information that took a while. Mm -hmm. Like this book was originally supposed to come out two years ago and I'm a quick start. So I was like, oh, we can just whip it together, get someone else to like pull it together, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Did not happen. (laughs) I put it on pause. (laughs) Because the initial book was very different than this book. This book is so much better, um, a thousand times better. So I'm really glad that we did that. Um, So my team and I like organized all the information. This is all pulled. And then then it came the stripping process. Like, this is too much. Mm. We need to take this out. Then I had someone go through and rewrite it, make sure that the... um, or check everything to make sure that there was consistency through because, you know, it's like you're Mm. pulling things from different things. We're using the same nomenclature and that we have, you know consistency and how it's structured. And then you go through like the actual editor who will go in and make sure that everything is like grammatically correct. And then, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, the footnotes are right and all the things that you have to do. Then you have to send it to a formatter who makes it look all pretty and looks good. Mm. So our formatter did like an awesome job. It's like the inside of the book is like all designed. You read the PDF, the original PDF, but the inside of the book has like design elements in it. And so I'm super stoked. And then mm-hmm. you go and um, there's a couple places that you can um, put your book on. So we uh, got the initial copies through a company called Ingram Spark. Mm-hmm. And so you just upload the book file and then they can print it for you. And then they can ship through multiple retailers. And then we're doing um, Kindle print on demand KDP program. So that mm-hmm. we have to be exclusive with them for three months and once we do that, I mean, if there were a lot of other, the thing that sucks is like, I get it. And I, I hear what you're saying about Amazon. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it's like where people go to buy books. And so I mean, we needed, we needed something with the biggest impact because, uh, we're a small company and I don't have a lot of money to go, um, try and spread it all, like spread it everywhere right now. So I wanted to, just find the yeah. place that would have the biggest impact where it would make the most difference for this book. And so that's easily access- accessible. 
Yeah. And I get that. I mean, I would love to support independent artists who are making furniture, but I can't afford that shit. So I still shop at Ikea. That is the deal. (laughs) (laughs) There's some, there's some similarity there. Um, and so, Oh, also how much does your book cost? It is, uh, well, during the pre-launch and promo period, it's $14.99, but when it goes mm. to regular it, it regular price, it's $19.99. Oh, so, and how long is that pre-launch? And I think it's about two, two weeks. So depending on when this goes out, it will be there. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure when this is going out though. So let's just say it's $19.99. In a week. Yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> We're, we're working and then you'll be people. surprised if it's still $14.99 when you go look at it. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, but the early worm does, early bird does get the worm. Yep. Um, I'm really excited and I'm excited to finish reading through it too because even as somebody who is an educator or has this podcast or et cetera, like even just to be able to read this and then get an insight for it and then to um, basically tell students to go towards the, you know, suggest yep. it to students. I think that's really great too, because I do meet so many young inspired jewelers that want to start their businesses and, um, pointing them to the right direction for resources is so valuable and important. Um, so I'm excited that you put a book out, Tracy. Thank you. Well, thank you for reading it and thanks for sharing it. I'm so excited. This has been such a fun podcast to be on. I love the conversation. Yeah. Oh, also, um, Tracy has her own pod. Is your podcast still going? The Flourish and Thrive Academy? Yeah. It's called Thrive by Design. And every Mm -hmm. week I drop episodes. We barely, we rarely miss episodes weekly. Like I'm pretty good with my content calendar. Sometimes I take Mm -hmm. a break in the summer and we repurpose content like in August. Yeah. And uh, every week uh, I drop at least one episode, sometimes two. And we talk all things business, marketing, um, mindset, all the mm-hmm. aspects of the desire brand effect happening every week. I bring guests on and other people to inspire you as well. Great. So you guys, you can Thrive find it on Apple Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. Um, subscribe, rate, and review because that helps all podcasters, including me. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add, Tracy? Before we wrap, that's up? it. I would be honored if you guys would pick up the book and. Then come tell me what you think. You can find me on Instagram at Tracy Matthews NY or at flourish underscore thrive. And mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what you think because um, it means a lot to hear yeah. from the people reading it. Yeah. Feedback. So important. So well, thank important. you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this. This is good. All right, everyone, this has been another episode of Proceed Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists, entrepreneurs, mentors, etc. Oh, and authors. Until <laughs> next time. Proceed Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron visit patreon.com slash value to learn more or check out our website at proceedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening.